Colossians chapter 3. You know, we've been studying the book of Colossians the past uh, couple of Sunday evenings. Uh, We've looked at Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. I I believe chapter 3, after studying it at length, is my favorite of the the four chapters. And I'm probably going to guess we're not going to make it to the end of chapter 3, and we'll have to finish that up next Sunday evening, but that's okay. But when we've been talking about the importance of reading the scriptures, and we talked about a few weeks ago about Ezra. I remember when the Israelites came back out of captivity and how Nehemiah helped build the wall and Ezra was there and he was reading the scriptures to the people. They wanted to hear the book of the Lord. And then we even talked about how Paul told Timothy you know, to give attention to reading. It's very important to read the scriptures. You might recall this in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he was chased out of Thessalonica and he come down to the next city uh, directly south of Thessalonica, which was Berea. And you might remember what the Bible said about the Bereans, those, uh, those Christians that were in Berea. The Bible said in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, uh, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bible says that they were more noble-minded than the Christians in Thessalonica. Well, how? Well, we saw that they were receptive of the scriptures. They received it with great eagerness. They wanted to read those scriptures. They were diligent. Right? The Bible says that they studied these things every day. Uh, they were cautious with it. They didn't just take Paul's word, but they dove into those scriptures to see whether the things that Paul was saying w- was true and, and to, uh, to God's word. And they were also loyal right? because they recognized the scriptures as authoritative. And to be noble-minded is to suggest that they were open to evidence. Right? Paul gave them, uh, read them the scriptures, and he applied that to Jesus, and, and they wanted to make sure that what Paul was saying was correct. And so again, that's the emphasis of this uh, the study that we're going through in Colossians. Again, we're going through each chapter every night. It's a lot of stuff to take in, but my hope, my goal is to have at least a verse or two that maybe hits you somewhere that you want to say, I want to go back and read that again. Or I want to go and study uh, that portion of what Paul wrote to that Group that, that congregation there in Colossae. Again, Colossians chapter 1 was about the supremacy of Christ. And we saw Christ's supremacy on full display in chapter 1. Remember, he told us that the Christians were rescued from a domain of darkness and into the kingdom. He transferred us. Jesus transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we were also told that Christ was the image, the icon of the invisible God. If you want to know about God, you study the life of Jesus because Jesus's life is God. And then in verse 15, he told us that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. Again, he has rank. He has priority over all things. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter two. And Paul had a lot of things to tell us about being being beware of things such as empty philosophies. You know, don't be taken captive in those, he said. He said, don't let others bind on you uh, traditions or, or, or laws from other religions, you know, the, because the old law had been uh, hung on the tree, hung on the cross. 
And so uh, don't follow those things anymore. Don't let anyone bind those onto you. And then he also, at the end of chapter 2, let us know uh, about this, what we talked about, self-imposed Worship uh, Again, uh, you know, if God's law doesn't require it, if God's law word doesn't say anything about it, we don't need to be required to, you know, deny ourselves of things. You know, we talked about the example of Lent, right, that some people uh, practice within religion today. They, they say, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, not have chocolate for 40 days and that's going to be a, a part of my worship to God. Right? That's self-imposed worship. God never told us to deny ourselves chocolate. Uh, and so in Colossians chapter 2, at the end there, you know, he tells us that these things are vain. They're, they do no good. Right? And so now we move into chapter 3. And Paul is going to focus more on some practical things for Christians. He's moving away from this doctrinal section and he's moving into a more practical section telling us how we are to live as Christians. And he's going to tell us a couple of times that we need to lay aside our old self, our old man, and put on our new self. Put on this new man. Put on new clothing. When you become a Christian, you take off the old garments and you put on the new garments. And that this garment, uh, this new man, is constantly being renewed, shaped into the image of Christ day by day. So let's jump into Colossians chapter 3 and notice what Paul has to say to us. Let's look at the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So we want to notice in this first section that Paul is talking about my new life and my personal purity. Remember in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul was talking about uh, baptism. Uh, let's look at that. But he said in chapter 2, verse 12, he, he said, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. If you have been baptized, you have been buried in the water and arose reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking those heavenly things, the heavenly realm, because Christ is there. He's seated at the right hand of God. To be seated at the right hand of God, this denotes glory and authority and honor. And even the Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, tells us that not even to the angels did he give this command. Right? This is for his son and his son alone to be seated at his right hand. Keep seeking the things above. And then verse 2, again, engage your intention on heavenly matters. Set your mind on the things above, he says. Again, is it the earthly things that keep our attention, our jobs, our material possessions? But is it the heavenly things? That's what Paul's focus is here. Keep on searching, keep on thinking about those heavenly things. Because in our conversion process, as we uh, notice here in verse 3, those who have been baptized into Christ, he says, they were once dead in their sins, 
but now they have become spiritually alive. And now they are hidden in Christ or with Christ in God. You know, that, that verse might seem a little strange at first. Uh, hidden in Christ? You know, we're not talking about uh, hiding ourselves from the world. Because, of course, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that we are to be the light of the world. Right? We are to be a city set on a hill. We're not supposed to have this light and be under a basket and not share that with others. But we are to uh, glorify God by sharing that with others. And so we're not hiding in that sense. But here, when we are hidden in Christ, this is suggesting safety. This is suggesting nurturing. Because in Christ, right, when we are in Christ, Satan cannot penetrate that hiding place. I would dare say that if I were to ask you or who here has played hide and seek to raise their hand, I'm sure every one of us would raise our hand. Right? That's a game that really doesn't need too many things other than a couple of people and a couple of places to hide. We've all played hide and seek, and maybe you were a great hider. Maybe you've hid somewhere that you know, no one could find you. Even the best hiding spot you could find compares nothing to being in Christ, where we are hidden, where we are safe, we are secure. And then he says in verse 4, when Christ is revealed on that day at his second coming, we too who were hidden, who are in Christ, will be revealed in his glory. Look at verses 5 through 11 now. Paul continues and he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices." And have put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. You notice in this section, Paul is going to tell uh, the Christians here in, in Colossae to put off. The old man put off the old self. But he begins by saying, you know, the members of our body, our hands, our legs, our eyes, you know, the parts of our body, they can be used for good and bad. Right. Our hands can be used to help others, to serve others, or they can be used to steal. They can be used uh, to strike one another. Our feet, they can be used for good. They, They can bring us to worship. But also our feet can uh, work in the opposite by keeping us on the couch, by not being used. Our tongue can encourage and our tongue can speak evil. Again, the members of our our body, Paul says here, uh, we should be dead to immorality, he says. Literally, he's saying, put these things to death. Now that you are a Christian, now that you have this new life, put these things to death. And he gives us a list. He's going to give us a lot of lists in this section. Uh, We don't have the time to go through every single word and define what he means. But I think, uh, you know, we have a pretty good understanding of what he's saying, because in the first one, he tells us to put uh, or to put this to death first. First, he says uh, immorality. Now, maybe your translation says 
sexual immorality. And that's what he's really speaking of. Uh, that's the better a translation, fornication here. Put those things away. Right? Now that you're a Christian, you can no longer live in them. Impurity, passion, evil desire. And then he ends that list with greed. And notice what he, he adds there uh, at the end of that verse. Greed, which amounts to idolatry. You know, we think of idolatry as an Old Testament problem, right? The, 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 the Israelites in the Old Testament built these wooden and, or metal uh, carvings and they prayed to these idols. But idolatry is alive then in the, in the first century and it's alive today as well in the form of greed, Paul says. Putting other things in front of God. You know, that's what idolatry is. And we can commit that today. But notice he also says there in verse, uh, verse 7, excuse me, in, in verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. You know, we need to focus on that verse as well because uh, it speaks to God's wrath. You know, we don't want to focus on God's wrath. We want to focus on God's love. Everyone wants to focus on God's love. But here Paul says that the, God's wrath will be shown to those who, who continue to practice these things. Right? Uh, the Christian, again, is taking these things off. He's putting these aside. Uh, he's no longer living this way. And then notice in verses 8 and 9, because he's going to give us another list. Because now he's going to talk about some interpersonal uh, attitudes that we can have that results in actions uh, that we ought not to do. And again, eliminate these things. He doesn't say uh, put these to death, but now he says put them aside. And what he's literally talking about, and I know uh, probably the women are going to uh, like this analogy, but it, it's time to clean out your closet. Right? Paul's saying now that you are in Christ, you take those clothings that you used to have that maybe be stained or holy or maybe they're just old and get rid of them. Get them out of your closet. Go get a whole new wardrobe. And you're going to start wearing these clothes. You're going to start wearing these things. It's time to clean out your closet and begin wearing new clothes. Put them aside. Put these things aside. And again, those things that he says to put aside Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Get rid of these things. You know, if you're a, a parent of a small child, you know, you've probably had this happen uh, quite a bit of times when you go to do their laundry and you notice that some article of clothing that you thought you threw away or you thought you put away in a basket somewhere to never be seen again or just to keep on. It's back in the it's back in the hamper, you know, because they went in there and they got that clothing that, that they really liked. Uh, and now they're wearing it again. And you thought you put that away. Where'd you get that? I thought you threw it away. You know, uh, take it back. Put it back. You will tell them where you found it. Again, Paul says we have laid aside our old self. We have uh, laid aside those old practices. And we understand that it's not going to be a quick battle. Some old articles of clothing of ours are going to show up every once in a while in our drawers. Uh, these, but the, again, we can't wear these anymore. So Paul says, constantly renew your, your mind to a true knowledge. Again, if I were to give you 
uh, the keys to a brand new, let's say a brand new uh, vehicle, a 2022 edition. Uh, it's out there in the parking lot. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, it's yours for free. Uh, you can drive it around uh, wherever you'd like. It's got a full tank of gas. But I think we all understand that we're going to have to fill that gas tank up at some point because it's going to run out of gas. And the same thing with the Christian. When you become a new Christian, a, a new cre- creation, you have to be filled up every once in a while. You're not born a full-grown Christian, but it's something you have to work at, you have to strive at, to develop. Uh, you need to understand the, the moral character, the moral nature of our Creator. And so again, Paul lets us know in those verses, in verse 10, again, that when we put on the new self, it's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. But then focus in on verse 12, because this is such a great verse, because, or excuse me, in verse 11, because it talks about how this renewal, there is no longer a distinction. There are no longer a distinction in Christ. We, our new self, it doesn't see racial divide. It doesn't see national divide, regional divide, economic class. There are no distinctions in Christ. You know, he gives some of the, the illustrations of the, of the day between Jew or Greek, or, or that's just so, another way of saying the non-Jew. There's no more distinction between the Jew and the non-Jew, the, the circumcised or the uncircumcised. He mentions the barbarian and the Scythian. The Scythian was just a barbarian, but times 10. You know, he was more crude. He was unlearned. Right? Paul says it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, uh, you, there's no distinction between you, between slave and free man. Again, no distinction. And so in Christ, our cultural barriers must give way to unity. Because he says there, again, in that verse, at the end of it, Christ is all and is in all. He is above all other considerations. And as a Christian, that's what I must do to have a pure life, Paul tells us in these first 11 verses. Let's notice this next section where he talks about my new life in Christ and my personal response to Christ. Look at verses 12 through 17. And let's take a, well, let's take a look at 12 through 15. So Paul writes here, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Again, we just left the section where Paul said, take these things off, you know, get rid of them. And now he's telling us what we need to put on. He's telling us what our new wardrobe is going to look on. You need to put on these virtues, these qualities as a Christian. And he begins by saying, you need to have a heart of compassion, a heart of compassion. You know, that's having a concern for others, for the others and their needs around us. And this word here in the Greek is, it's pretty uh, neat uh, because... Uh, uh, if you study, study it, I can't pronounce the word. It actually it sounds something like that comes out of Star Trek. So I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it for you. But what it literally means to have a heart of compassion is to be moved as to one's bowels. Right? Because the ancient uh, Greeks, the, they thought that 
the heart of a person was in the bowels of, the, of man, right? In your stomach. You know, when you get that turning feeling in your stomach, uh, when, when you're sad or upset, or, you know, sometimes we refer to it as having butterflies in our stomach, right? that's having a heart of a compassion. When you have those feelings with inside of you, uh, knowing that others need your help, uh, th- that need your, your love and your concern, that's what Paul says at first. He says, have a heart of compassion. And then, uh, again, uh, he goes on to list uh, a lot of others. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, being able to bear with one another, being forgiven. And notice how we are to forgive. He says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. But again, focus here on verse 14, because he says the crowning aspect of all of these admiral traits is love. Right? This is the cement uh, that, that cements the Christian to, together, uh, the Lord's people together is love. Right? It's that perfect bond of unity because it leads us to be willing to sacrifice self for the object of its affection. And then in verse 15, we notice he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Right? Because I have been, my sins have been washed away, I now have peace. I have that peace in Christ. I've saved from my sins. And so let it rule in my heart. Let it be the attitude that's overflowing from out me. Again, my personal response to Christ. And then let's just focus on the last two verses here in this section, in verses 16 and 17. Uh, these are uh, two verses that, you know, we could spend a whole sermon on, uh, and maybe we will someday. But, but notice in verse 16, Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, here Paul is saying, because you are a Christian, because you are in Christ, here is your response to Christ. Sing to him. Worship him in song. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let it be at home in you and sing it. Right? Sing out, he's telling us. And he also tells us in this verse that when we sing, it's bidirectional. Right? We're singing to one another We're encouraging and teaching and admonishing one another when we sing with our voices to one another, right? Teaching, we're educating each other through song. We're admonishing one another. We're we're warning each other. You know, troublesome times are near. And that one another, it suggests, again, this corporate sense of worship that, that we're together singing these songs. But not only are we singing to one another, But he ends that verse by telling us we are singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Singing in worship is bidirectional. And we are to be thankful for that as well. And then in verse 17, and we'll end at this verse. But Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Doing all. In his name, Paul says. This is a, a verse that, that, that screams authority uh, from Christ. Whatever the Christian does, either verbally or by his actions, Paul says, must be done in the name of the Lord. And what that phrase means is by his authority. It doesn't mean that everything I do in this life, I need to 
say uh, by the will of the Lord, right? I drink a glass of water and say in the name of the Lord. That's not what Paul's saying. You know, we don't have to do that. This isn't a formula to speak, but he's saying everything the Christian does. Again, in word or deed, do it with Christ's authority. You know, we, we, we play, uh, you know, kids play basketball, right? Or whatever sport it is. And we know that as a, as a Christian now, uh, when we are in Christ, uh, we're gonna play ba- we're gonna play the game of basketball fairly, right? We're not gonna trip anyone out on the courts. We're not gonna use foul language anymore, because Paul's told us get those things out of your life, put them aside, right? Act like a Christian now. Do those things by His authority. Follow His rules. And again, as a Christian, that is what I must do to acknowledge Christ as my, as my Savior. I told you uh, as we begin this lesson that I didn't think we were going to get to the end of chapter 3. And I'm going to save the next section for uh, next week because there's just so much there. And then chapter 4, of course, uh, isn't as long. And we'll, uh, we'll finish up with this study in Colossians next week. But I appreciate your attention this evening uh, as we've looked at these verses uh, pertaining to a new life in Christ. Again, put those things uh, off and now put on these And that's what Paul is emphasizing to those Christians in in Colossae. And this evening, uh, as we offer the invitation, uh, maybe you're here this evening and maybe your life is not right with Christ. Uh, Maybe uh, those things, again, that you once, uh, when you were baptized into, into Christ... And you said I was going to wear that new wardrobe. Maybe, again, those articles of clothing have been popping up in your dresser drawer from time to time. But again, Paul says, get rid of those. Get them out of your closet. Get them out of your drawer. Uh, Maybe this evening you need the prayers of the congregation to to help you uh, with those things, to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe this evening you have not put on Christ in baptism. Maybe this evening uh, is the time to do that. Or, or maybe you're interested in studying about that. Again, we would love the opportunity to study with you. Uh, if you have a, a need, uh, whatever it is this evening, please make it known as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.